Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's a Monday edition of PFTOT, the extra show where we talk about the things we didn't get to during PFT Live or things we'd like to talk about some more. And Chris Sims, let's talk some more about Tom Brady's new contract from a perspective we really didn't touch on. We talked about so many different things. We did a draft of the things that we guarantee will happen before Brady retires. How about this one? How much longer is Tom Brady going to play? What's your feeling? Well, my feeling, and I, I know I've expressed this to you before, but I really believe he's trying to beat Michael Jordan and become the greatest sports icon in the history of America. That, that's really my gut feeling. There's two things that I think are keeping Brady in playing, right? And there's nothing wrong with this. One, he wants to outdo Jordan. Two, he doesn't want Bill Belichick winning Super Bowls if he's not there. And that's fine. I'd be the same way. I'd be like, damn, I'm not leaving. I don't, they're going to sit here, you know, he doesn't want it to be like, uh, you know, maybe it hurts his legacy at some point. Like like Joe Montana. Joe Montana left the 49ers. Steve Young went to NFC Championship game, NFC Championship game, and then won the Super Bowl uh, to where I feel like it did take a little luster from Joe Montana. But those are the two things I look at. So I think a little dep- – I'm going to say two years, but maybe one if they win the Super Bowl. So are you suggesting that after Tom Brady retires from the Patriots, he will secretly be rooting against the Patriots because he doesn't want the Patriots to win championships without him? Well, I, I mean, I, I guess if you want to, yeah, okay. I don't know if he's going to be rooting against them, but I think he's going. That's your implication. Well, my implication is more that he's going to play as long as he can possibly play so he doesn't have to be put in that situation. I don't know if he'll ever root against the Patriots. I think there's too much love there, but – I also think if that happened, he's going to realize like, oh, man, oh, you know, he, he's, he's going to want to protect his legacy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I certainly am not trying to say that's a negative or anything like that. Hey, I, I've said that plenty of times over yeah. the years, though. That group of guys who were part of the last championship team for an NFL franchise, when the team is good again, they have to be conflicted at some level because once there's a new version right. that starts winning championships – it knocks them down a yes. peg in that overall esteem with which they're held by the fan base. Yeah, uh, that is 100% a real thing. I mean, certainly is, and you're right. I mean, it's they're winning Super Bowls. They're they're relevant every year, and because of their relevancy and the way they win, you know, think about it. We don't nearly think about the early 2000 Patriots as often as we once did, so uh, I think that's a, a very real reality. Cowboys are 23 what do you, years How long do you think counting. he's going to play? You didn't say. What do you think? I think that if they win the Super Bowl this year, the chance is stronger than ever that he walks off in okay. the sunset. Beyond that, hey, he has said all along, I'm playing until I'm 45. Gotcha. And, you know, now, now I, I for a long time believed – that he set that out there so far he would never have a farewell tour, that I don't think he would do well in a farewell tour type of a season because he would be too emotional, and he doesn't want everybody asking him questions. Oh, it's, it's Tom Brady's last year. We know it's his last year. And I think he's always going to keep that rubber band stretch farther than he actually intends to play. So I'll, I'll say 
he's 42 this year, 43 next year, 44 the year after that. Let, let's say he will finish this contract three more years and retire before his 45th birthday. Okay. That, that's what I'll say. Okay, cool. As, and barring some dramatic reduction in his abilities, which there has been no indication are, is going to happen anytime soon, I think he's got three more years left in him. All right. Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Dallas Cowboys, trying to get back to the Super Bowl, trying to get back to the NFC Championship game. They haven't been there as a franchise since 1995. Prescott had a comment about Zeke's holdout. He says, I've talked to him. We've communicated. As I said, obviously, we missed a player that he is, but I know he's getting better. I know he's working on his game. He's in shape. He's going to make sure that he comes back when he's back on this team. He's a better player than before camp. And, uh, yeah, he's a good friend. Obviously, you want him out here, but that's business. Friendship is friendship. And business is business. You don't cross those. And I thought that comment from Prescott, extra significant, given that Philip Rivers dancing around in that minefield 10 days ago talking about holdout running back Melvin Gordon. Well, hey, we love Melvin, but we're going to go with the guys we have. We've got a really deep position here. And I, I think that Prescott's savvy enough, even though he's only got a few years in the NFL, to stay the hell away from that line because you can undermine your relationship with your teammate if you say anything that can be interpreted fairly or unfairly as being a comment about his demands and whether or not he's worth what he wants and whether or not the team is really going to feel the heat of the leverage. So smart by Prescott to make it clear he's not getting anywhere close to the business aspect of this from Zeke's standpoint. Well, this is why he's a franchise quarterback, though. It's little things like this that continue to show his maturity, his leadership, his understanding of the big picture, uh, you know, the way he handles himself on and off the field. I mean, he's that dude, and uh, I respect that about him. And, yeah, friendship is friendship, business is business. You know, I, I think he's also saying he loves Zeke and all that, but he's he's not getting into particulars about, hey, Zeke, what do you ask? Asking for so I can so I can go back to my agent and tell him so we can figure out our game plan in the back end uh, and and certainly not going to get involved in any numbers or we need him back here right now you know a lot of times as an NFL player you only got one chance to strike it rich and right now is Ezekiel Elliott's chance and he's going for it and I think uh, Dak Prescott can can respect that. It's a simple message, and it's amazing when any quarterback or any other player gets his hand close to that that flame. And I was stunned that Phillip Rivers did it with Melvin Gordon. It reminded me of when Tiki Barber and Michael Strahan were going back and forth when Strahan was trying to get paid and Tiki Barber injected himself. You never do that. You, you just respect the fact that these guys are trying to get their best possible deal and you worry about getting your best possible deal. And if you do try to cross that line from friendship to business, you're going to have a problem. So smart by Dak, but it just highlights that it was kind of misguided by a guy we expect more from in Philip Rivers to have said what he said about Melvin Gordon. All right, let's stay in Texas and let's stay at the quarterback position because at a time when there's plenty of question about how much freedom Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers will have at the line of scrimmage this year, Deshaun Watson is going to have more. He, 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 he's going to have five or six different plays in his head, making sure we get in the right one. It's a lot more freedom than he's had in the past. In the past, he just had two different plays. Now he's going to have that broader menu. He's getting the freedom, Chris, that Rodgers wants. And uh, for a guy starting the third year of his career, I think it's smart for the Texans to nurture him, to empower him, and to allow him to 
to flourish and blossom into the quarterback he's capable of being. Well, it's the next step. And if there's been a negative about the Houston Texans offense the last two years, it's been a little bit of a, I wish they would do more. I wish they would, you know, be a little bit more creative and formations and things you can do because of his special, special skill set. You know, I think one of the things that probably hindered, hindered, excuse me, uh, Deshaun Watson's progress as far as this conversation is concerned too, you know, you tear your ACL, he's got to go through rehab last year, you know, doesn't get, you know, just the full scope of everything he wants to do on the field, off the field, probably because of that rehab, but it's year three. It is that New England system, Mike, that you've heard me talk about a lot. There's a lot in this offense. It's not an easy offense to digest. I would say it's the most complicated offense in all of football when in its total. Totality, uh, but when you do know it in its totality, it's the best offense in, in NFL football. It's got an answer for everything, and it sounds like Deshaun Watson is understanding the, the totality of that scheme, and then also being able to really understand defenses at the same time to where he's going to go, okay, we're in this formation. Okay, coach told me about these five or ten plays I got at my disposal. Oh, they're in that defense? Oh, now those ten plays, it goes down to these four plays. Coach likes these four plays, and that's kind of how his brain is going to work as the season goes goes on and it's going to make this defense a lot uh, offense a lot harder to defend and, and you know the Texans are kind of becoming sort of forgotten in their division yeah. with the Colts and the Jaguars but Deshaun Watson took the league by storm as a rookie at that torn ACL in November of 2017 that stunned everyone and flying under the radar now and and getting that that opportunity to grow and develop and still is capable of being one of the finest quarterbacks in the National Football League. Over the weekend, it was the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony in Canton. And a guy who isn't in the Hall of Fame, but arguably should have been and maybe now will be more seriously considered, Cliff Branch, one of the great receivers of the 70s, passed at the age of 71. When I was growing up as a, as a football fan, there, there was only one Cliff Branch, the blazing speed, the guy that Al Davis was always trying to replicate, always looking for the next Cliff Branch, just a burner who would stretch the field. And, and it felt like that, that the Raiders understood the value of having that speed receiver before the rest of the league did, and they had the best one in Cliff Branch. He should be in Canton, and uh, here's hoping that uh, maybe next year they find a spot for him. Yeah, well, hey, Mike, I think you, you said it. That's the thing that jumps out to me. It really was my first understanding of, of Cliff Branch, too. I mean, wearing that 21, he he always looked so cool in the uniform. I was always the kid growing up that loved to put on old NFL films or Super Bowl memory shows, and you'd watch him. But he was kind of the first of his kind to where, yeah, he was looked at as that take the top off the defense type of guy. We're going to stress you out with him going deep and deep and deep and deep. And yet, yeah, not only is he a viable threat there, but of course it opens up a lot of other people as well. Um, yeah, it's shame to see him go. Three-time Super Bowl winner. And, you know, the the Hall of Fame conversation is interesting, Mike. It really is. I mean, 8,600 career yards, 67 career touchdown receptions. You know, I don't know if his stats say what he really was as a player as far as a threat on the football field. And again, sometimes stats can't quantify what a guy like this can do because he can change defenses, game plans, and things like that because of the speed you're talking about, which for a period in time in the late 70s and stuff, I mean, he was considered to be the fastest this guy in football or certainly one of them it is amazing he played as long as he did too and did get those three Super Bowl championships 72 to 85 with the Oakland and Los Angeles Raiders and and you know sometimes it's just that second look and sometimes it's I, like it did with Don Coryell it gets it gets the Hall of Fame voters 
to, to go back and give a more fair consideration of a person's candidacy, and it could make the difference between getting in and not getting in. And, and as it relates to the Hall of Fame, they have a plan for next year, for the 100th anniversary of the NFL. They're going to do a centennial class of the Hall of Fame, which is basically a way to – to right some of the wrongs that have just happened over the years where naturally a guy gets overlooked and he doesn't get in and there's only so many spots. So they're going to have their usual five modern era finalists that they will vote on uh, one at a time. They'll, they'll trim the field down. They'll get down to five. It'll be up or down for each of the five. And typically when you get to that point, all five get in. They're going to have 15 others cool. consisting of 10 candidates who are seniors uh, level players who have been out of the NFL for at least 25 years, three contributors and two coaches. And Chris, the screwy thing about this, and I appreciate and respect that Peter King is on record today opposing this because I think it's a mistake. They're going to put them all together as a block of 15 and they all get in or none get in. And that feels like a political power play to get Paul Tagliabue in, quite frankly, the former NFL commissioner who has been voted down twice. Because who's going to vote him down if you're going to vote down the entire group of 15? They've got this special centennial class. And if it's up or down and they all get in or none get in, well, then they're all going to vote them all in. So I I think there's going to be a strong pushback now to get them to change their plans on this so they don't create a situation where somebody gets wedged into this group that wouldn't be able to get in if the vote happened one person at a time. And they want to vote on these folks one person at a time, not as this 15-person block. It just feels like somebody's trying to get away with something by setting it up that way. It, it certainly does. And I, I didn't even – I'm going to be totally honest with you. I didn't realize that a- aspect of it, that they were trying to do it in a block of 15. That makes absolutely if – you, If you read profootballtalk.com every day, you would know about I, that. I do. I don't know where I missed that part of it because I live on the damn website, so shut up, okay? But either way, I, I just I, – that doesn't make sense to me either. I mean – just not fair. So, so then the committee better come up with a 15 they surely like. I mean, that they know they're going to vote on and vote yes before it even happens, right? I mean, what's the point of even talking about this if that's the way you're going to do it? You know, I, I don't. Well, I think that what what needs to happen is, look, all it takes is 10 of the Hall of Fame voters to kill this thing. Yeah. And I think 10 of them need to come together now and say no. This is not we if you do this, we're voting no. So let's vote on these people one at a time. And, uh, you know, you whittle the list down so you get 15 candidates because I think they want to have this. They want to use this this opportunity to jam a lot of people into the Hall of Fame just to, to fix some of the mistakes they've made in the past. But you still have to have 15 viable candidates to get in. And uh, it can't be. And, and, and look, no disrespect to Paul Tagliabue, but the bottom line is he's been a finalist twice and he's been rejected twice. And uh, it just it feels like someone's fingerprints are on this trying to create an opportunity for Tagliabue to finally get in. That was my first reaction when I heard about it. And, and a lot of times your first reaction in a situation like that is the right reaction. Yeah, I, I don't. This just doesn't seem right to me either. You know, uh, just it, again, first thing off as a pure football person. You know, I don't want, okay, we've got 15 guys in. Okay, great. That's awesome. It's the centennial class, right? Plus the five guys in the modern day area. I understand it's going to be 20. I mean, 
why are we hell bent on the number 20? Okay. And then if we vote on this block of 15 guys, I mean, if there's four or five guys that don't deserve to be in there, but we're, we're just writing the wrong or doing something like that. I mean, that's a bunch of crap too. That's disrespectful to the people that have gotten there the hard old fashioned way that I, I just don't agree with um, that at this point. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Hey, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Why, why does the fact that it's the 100th anniversary of the NFL justify expanding the class? Why? What? Just, just, and you know what? And let, let me be, let me be ultra cynical here. Um, I feel like the Hall of Fame is is uh, trying to to generate money and trying to get people who have money to donate money and maybe to the extent that you've got this broadened class, maybe, maybe people who think that, Hey, if I give some money, then maybe my candidacy is going to be, you know, that kind of loose quid pro quo. Oh, I made a huge contribution to the hall of fame. Although ultimately it's the voters that are going to decide who gets in and who doesn't. It's not the voters who came up with this concept of a 15 person block. And it's just something fishy about it. You know, it just doesn't pass that smell test to me, Chris. And I'm glad to see the voters pushing back. And I don't think this is the end of it. And I think what the voters need to do, 10 of them, as I said, need to make it clear. If you do this, we're voting no. So you're wasting your time. We have to do it one person at a time. And hopefully that's what that's what uh, will ultimately transpire. It's just a weird little wrinkle. And it just, it, you know, it's just, as we said earlier about, Antonio Brown, sometimes you get into a situation where something doesn't feel right and you have to trust that feeling. Something clearly doesn't feel right with this one, Chris. No, it, it doesn't. And and again, I didn't know that they were voting on the block of 15. That's just really peculiar to me. And, it, it, you know, it, the big thing is it is. It's disrespectful to those, those people who have earned it the old-fashioned way. And let's not just be hell-bent on a number just for the sake of a number. Oh, it's 100 years, so we got to have 20 people, and now we're just going to get any 20 people in. No, I, I'm not. But they not- do that every year they put five in every year whether or not there are five who are truly worthy that drives me crazy but there usually five but there usually is where you can legitimately go there there's five worthy like i i yeah i I can't say there's been many years you know there's been some guys that i've certainly been on the line about like oh i don't know if he deserves to get in or not like terrell davis from two years ago then he shouldn't be in yeah but you know this is another this is a separate beef for me i think the bar should be higher not that they're going to change it but but I don't. Why does it have to be five every year? Maybe it should be one or two one year, three the next year, none one year. I I don't like the idea that it just feels like they have to punch yeah. these tickets and put these guys in. I'm with in. you, Mike. I'm with you. I, I think the only guys who get in are the guys where it's a no-brainer. Right. Brett Favre, no-brainer. Right. Peyton Manning, no-brainer. Right. Terrell Owens should have been a no-brainer. Randy yeah. Moss, no-brainer. And If uh, they make it more I, I elite it d- it like that, it. it's going to make – yeah, you're right. That's what I'm saying. If they make it more elite like that, if their money is the problem, they're really going to get more money. Because you know what? Sometimes I don't want to watch this Hall of Fame ceremony because I don't want to sit there for four hours to watch everybody make a 25-minute speech. I'm just sorry. I love football. That's a different, that's a different issue altogether. Well, well, you know, but again, I will tune in if it's like you're saying, the elite of the elite, and maybe it's one year, it's two guys or three, and then I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to sit down here for an hour and watch all three guys talk and, and sit through it. But, you know, the other night, it went on forever and ever, and then I go, gosh, I want to see the Yankees game, and I'm going to turn the T in, and then, I, oh, damn, I missed, you know, his presentation. Well, it goes on forever, and you just, uh, I don't always love that aspect of it either. If they're not going to have real time limits and enforce those time limits, then what they need to do is tape the the speeches, turn it into a one-hour TV show, and edit them. 
and just do it that same day. Do it a few hours later. But ultimately, this is a TV show, and there is no TV sensibility that is applied to this process where they just let these guys go out and talk as long as they want to, right. period. And, uh, you know, and, and I've had people say to me, well, you know, this is their last moment in the sun. Let them enjoy it. It's like, no, that's not how it works. If you want people to watch this, if you want people to find it compelling, you have to manage it like any other TV show. And yes. I agree with you. What, it started at 7 o'clock on Saturday night, and I think it was it, it lasted until quarter to 12. I know. I, I, got, so I, I, I gave up halfway between and just said, okay, I'm going to flip the channels a little bit. And it just uh, – it is. It's too long. I, I really respect it. I mean, the guys that got on this year, they certainly deserved to be in. That was a special class this year. They were all very elite players, like you mentioned. But, uh, yeah, I wish they would make it a little bit more TV and consumer friendly. All right, now that we've complained about everything we can possibly complain about as it relates to the Hall of Fame, let's call it a day, Chris. See ya. Tuesday, are, are you you going to be in Cleveland? I'm going to be in Cleveland be? because I believe Lind in the Cleveland Browns. Now, <laughs> now, now are you going to be at a TV studio? Are you going to have a little setup with uh, Peter's RV that's taking him across country? I don't know anything about this. All I know is you're not going to be where you usually are. I don't know anything about this either, Mike. That's a good question. I don't have the answers to those. I just go where NBC tells me. I believe I'm going to be in a TV studio studio in the morning get done with the show and then going to head over to brown's training camp and uh hopefully you know watch practice and get a few cool interviews with some of their star players something that i do know yeah. i do know you're going to be going from cleveland to pittsburgh and you're going to be about an hour and a half away from where i am and you're not coming to visit no. and i really am hurt by that and you, you know you say oh that's shtick i really am hurt that you're not coming to visit yeah yeah no you really that, hurt. that is shtick you're full of crap how about this i'm really hurt that you're i not have coming to, to go visit. do a job how about you leave your little cozy home and come up to pittsburgh and watch training camp practice with me there big guy did you think about that one you weren't expecting me to reverse that on you there would you Make your drive up because I don't have a car. You're at home with your cars. You know the roads better. Come meet me. How does that sound? I'll be really offended I, if you don't. I have I have an explanation for you that you understand. I'll share it with you off air. It's not appropriate for air, but that that's the reason why I won't okay. be doing that. So all right. all right, we're even. All right, good. All right, yes. enjoy uh, enjoy Cleveland. We'll talk to you early tomorrow morning. Everybody enjoy your Monday. Check us out around the clock at ProFootballTalk.com. Have a great day. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.